Welcome to All Things Tibet, a podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. We'll be coming to you with brand new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to tweet along as you listen, feel free to use the hashtag AllThingsTibetPod. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is All Things Tibet, episode six. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And today we are talking about season one, episode four. Woo! Which is called... The episode is called Longing. This was an interesting Tibet episode, in my opinion. Yeah. It was simultaneously not a lot, and yet when there was stuff, it was full of stuff. Yes. Big portion of this episode is focused on Bet trying to get the provocation show approved to, sh- to run at the California Arts Center, the CAC. And the first scene that we see of her in the episode is her presenting this idea to the board. Yes. And nobody is on board. Nobody no. on the board is on board. No. The thing, the note I wrote for this, because I forgot I wrote it and now it's making me giggle, even though I wrote it literally five seconds ago, is that Porter would get along with my women in theater and film professor because this art exhibit seems like the exact kind of obscure, liberal, intensely provocational stuff that I am currently studying in that class. So. Yeah. And it, it was really like what she was presenting, I would say was pretty risque for 2000, the early 2000s, let's say. Oh yeah. You can and, tell they're on cable. Oh yeah. So another thing that kind of came to my mind as like Bet was giving this presentation as I think about the interviews with Jennifer Beals when she says that she was preparing more to be an art center director mm-hmm. than she was to be a lesbian. Mm-hmm. and how so much more the show focuses on the fact that she is a lesbian yeah. and she actually didn't need to know all that much about being an art director yeah because <laughs> it's rarely is it like the single thing that's being focused on there's always it's interesting because if you think about it that kind of comes back in a meta way almost later when she's talking to peggy and peggy's like oh you're the lesbian musician yep director <laughs> exactly yeah so her boss franklin is really resistive to this plan of them bringing provocations in and they're very focused on the fact that they've done impressions of winter every year for however many years and what she didn't know until that meeting that franklin revealed to her was that he had already booked them yeah so that was a huge hit to her ego yeah I don't know if they ever, like, say what Franklin's job title is, but I'm, like, trying to figure out, I mean, I guess he must be, like, the chairman of the board or something. He gives me boss vibes is what he gives me. Well, yeah, and he's obviously, because he fires her in season two, so clearly he is the boss, but Mm -hmm. Beth's the director, so I'm like, what the fuck do you do, Franklin? If he was the chairman of the board, he would be the boss. Right. Because in an so, setting that you technically report to the board. Right. So I guess it's that. But I mean, we know it's a dick move because Peggy later is like, you would be upset if your employer did that. And Bet was like, yeah, I would. Yeah. But we do. Fuck kind of, Franklin is what I'm saying. But we do see more evidence that Bet is 
very much living in her own world because she makes this comment to Franklin when he bucks her like, well, if I'm not going to be making a choice on the theme of the show, then what am I here for? Right. And that also furthers the point that Bette very much uses her career as a position where she can exude the most power. It's fair to say that she does that because in her everyday life, I think she feels very powerless. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Again, it's that thing with anxiety and control, right? And I think that that kind of later on in the season is part of what her problem becomes is that she literally feels like her job is out of her control. Her relationship is out of her control. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they have a child is out of her control. Mm -hmm. And I think it just all kind of congeals and anxious people, I can testify, make really terrible decisions. Well, and also I think one of the things that was really done well in season one is that you don't recognize the impact that this show is going to have on Tibet. You don't get any impression that there's like doom coming, right? Right. But we know that this show is like the beginning of the end for them in season one. Yeah. Because everything that happens from there on out is somehow linked to this show. It's how Candace and her form this more intimate relationship. It's how Tina sees Candace and Bet together for the first time, the last time too, God, I hope. So I will say that there was very much like a an unexpected slow burn with this show. Yeah. It's, it literally is like a slow moving car crash. Yep. When you know. When yep. you don't know, it's just kind of adorable. And it's like, okay, they have problems, but I'm sure they'll work it out. But when you know, it's like, oh no. Yeah. I'm having a hard time remembering like what my initial impression was when Bet she did when I first watched. It's hard to think back that some years ago now. But I know that every time I do a rewatch now of season one, it gets harder and harder to watch Bet as the episodes go on. I agree. Yeah. I remember because it wasn't that long ago for me. And I remember because it was sort of before I got into the fandom at large. Mm-hmm. And the friend that got me to watch the show, literally she knew I was getting to that episode and she was like, be gentle, please. And I was like, why? (laughs) And she's like, just trust me, just please. And I think I messaged her as soon as I got to that part of the episode and was like, what the fuck, Bet? Earlier in the year, I should say earlier in 2020, I had encouraged my cousin to watch The L Word as well, and she did. And from the very beginning, she told me that Dana was her favorite character. And I could not bring myself to tell her what was coming I was just like oh yeah she's great she's awesome and then like when she died she continued to tell me like every season as she moved forward how much she missed her even after she watched Gen Q you said I miss Dana being a part of their friend group so I miss Dana being a part of their friend group I actually in this episode I felt that when they were all on the planet and Dana came in and was like, guys, there's this giant billboard of Shane on Sunset. I was like, oh my God, Dana, I love you so much. Yeah. And so then the next scene that we see Tina and Bet is when Tina shows up at home, Bet's already there. So so Bet is working on convincing Gina Ferreira, who is in charge of provocations 
even though Franklin had said that they were not going to move forward with that plan, but <laughs> took the liberty upon herself to cancel the arrangements Franklin made and was still vying for provocations, even though actually it wasn't a done deal when she presented yeah. to the board. Yeah. And so one of the things I observed about this interaction between them that I hadn't really noticed before because I wasn't obviously like studying the show in the same way as I am now is yeah. that that entire conversation that they have, you can't even call it a conversation. It is Bet talking at Tina about her issues. Like at no point in there, I would say the closest that she got was at the very end when she gave her a kiss. But at no point did she like stop and say, hello, how was your day? <laughs> yeah. She is just rattling off all of her grievances. And Tina is so patient and yes. supportive. And Bet is just... She can't stop talking about her issues. Mm -hmm. She's always got at least 10 of them in the chamber. Yeah. That was the thing I wrote about this scene was that even physically, right? Bet is pacing back and forth before Tina even walks in the door. And once Tina gets in there, Laurel does not move. <laughs> except to like cross to the table and sit down. Right. She is so still. Yeah. And I think that is such a perfect physical embodiment of where their relationship is at right yeah. now. And yeah. I also love, I also wrote that I love how Tina's so involved with Bet's work that she knows to ask informed questions and kind of knows the people in Bet's work life and stuff like that. I really doubt Bet knows jack shit about the movie industry like oh. i mean well, and i bet if you asked that at all like hey how's tina doing like how is she dealing right now with trying to get pregnant and being out and you know being away from work and stepping out of that role she wouldn't know how to answer it she'd be like she's fine <laughs> yeah it's all good yeah even though we know that like, as the episodes go on that tina is not okay tina's very much not fine yeah and another note that i made is like Tina walks in the door and Beth says, you, you brought dinner. And I said, shocking that they did not communicate that Beth wasn't going to be home for dinner, that she had plans to go meet this woman for drinks. Which like, I know this is beside the point, but Beth, you still have to eat. Presumably a drinks meeting is not going to take that long. You still need food. Just well, eat the leftovers when you come home. Like, But we know like... You know, a couple scenes later, she misses this drink state with Gina. And I just made a note because I never noticed until the that bar scene when Tina and Bet, you know, are greeting each other that Bet has this what I really could only describe as like a dragon sort of design. Oh, on her I, shirt. Yeah. yeah. I never noticed that. I didn't so either. random. <laughs> yeah. I did because it's like up like the the yeah. seam of the shirt or something. Yeah. I'm no fashionista by any means, but it's it was very like out of place for Beth's wardrobe, in my opinion. There's a couple things that she wears this season that are just totally not her style. Yeah, it was clearly your bestie just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what <laughs> sticks. Right, right. And so when they meet at the bar or when Beth comes in, greets Tina at the bar, there is this other moment where Tina tells Bet that Kit is drinking and mm -hmm. Bet says to her, why did you stop her? Yep. Why was that Tina's responsibility? Right. 
Like, first of all, Bet, it's not even your responsibility. Even though Never she mind. makes it her responsibility the entire series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole reason that she ends up having that fight with Jody, right? Because right. Jody's like, you were literally trying to control everyone. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I know living with an addict in your life is very difficult. So I don't want to downplay that. Sure. However, again, that is clearly just another way in which Bet is trying to control yeah. every single thing and every single person in her life. Mm-hmm. And Tina didn't do what she was supposed to because Tina was Bet's emissary there, apparently. Well, in my observations thus far of Tina are like, she just remains cool, calm, and collected when all this stuff is going on. And it's no wonder that we opened season two with her flipping a table. This has just amped up even some of the things where I would guess any person would snap back at Bet the way that she talks to Tina. Tina just, she just keeps it cool. Yeah. And God bless her for being able to contain that. Which is also, I think, why so many folks view her as boring and passive. You don't really see her come to life until season two. And I mean, it is that stillness that when you're surrounded by Bet and Shane and Alice and Dana and even Jenny, yeah. it seems boring because it's so much stiller. Sure. I definitely appreciate Tina more when she is flipping tables and calling Jenny a cunt and... Uh, she's coming should. to life a little bit more, but I do also Telling think that, that, that she's not going to let her psycho dysfunction affect Angie. <laughs> yes. Yes. That scene. I could talk about that scene for days, but that <laughs> that's later. But I do also have kind of this love in my heart for Tina's gentleness, which I think we mm-hmm. get, we never lose it, but I think it's sort of at its most heroic, I guess I would say mm-hmm. in season one because there's so much dysfunction going on around her. And I think one of the things that is a pattern is that every time that Tina and Bet have separated, Tina has always come back with a stronger sense of who she is and more confidence to stand on her own two feet. Because yep. thinking about the conversation that they had in Gen Q, Tina would have never challenged Bet the way that she did in season one of The L Word. No, nope. like she did in season one of Gen Q. And it was my favorite thing. It was yeah. maybe my favorite Tina moment yeah. in Gen Q. Well, and I was. think there's, there's two things happening. One is that in the beginning, we see Bet just spouting off and saying whatever she wants, and Tina kind of just takes it. Whereas seeing them today, even being divorced, they're finally on a level, level playing field. Yes. Because I would even argue that in season six, to see that argument all the time, they figured it out. They had it all set. They were partners then. It was so early in them reconciling. I don't know that we could actually give them all the credit in the world to say like, yep, they have it all figured out. Yeah. I mean, they were definitely better. Yeah. But like better to, than they were in season one. Yeah. But first of all, that's a low bar. Second of <laughs> yes, all. Yes. <laughs> the example I always go back to when trying to explain to people why I think they weren't as perfect in season six as people seem to give them credit for is the fact that Bet starts working with Kelly without even talking to Tina. Yeah. Put Kelly aside for a moment. 
that is a complete career change. Right. In a time when they have a lot going on. And that's what Tina says to her. And yep. that just doesn't even think about it. Just, yeah, I'm totally going to go into business with this woman that was one of the first women I ever fell in love with and totally broke my heart. And sure. I'm not even going to talk to my partner about it. I'm just going to tell her later and be like, it's already done, Tina. Learn yep. to live with it. Like that is some sort of cycling back to season one bet bullshit. So yes, they did have a lot of growth. And I think Tina, not necessarily in that situation, but in a lot of surrounding situations was able to push bet more than she did in season one. But there were still some patterns there that they hadn't Mm -hmm. unwritten yet. Also, it's questionable if bet downplayed the significance of her relationship with Kelly. Because remember, Kit says, Bet almost killed herself over that girl. But Bet tells Tina, oh, it wasn't that serious. You know, like she basically makes it seem like she would have never given me a chance, whatever. But Kit speaks into the fact that there might've been more going on there than Bet was leading on. And yeah. that also is a defense mechanism of Bet. Yep. Like it's all good. It's all fine. You don't need to worry. It's not that big of a deal trying to just appease Tina, but clearly she has her concern. Tina reads Kelly from the second that she sees her. Oh my God, yeah. She has her figured out from second one. Yeah. Or juicy as uh, Bette calls her. Oh my God. I, (laughs) no, please no. (laughs) Anyway. I think I could, I could rant for a full episode about how much I hate Kelly fucking Wentworth, but. Yes, I stand by my statement that I made initially, or recently, I should say, that it should have been her that died and not Jenny. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, going back to season one, episode <laughs> yeah. four. We were talking about Kit drinking and Tina telling Bet and Bet yeah. being like, why didn't you stop her? And I love Tina's response when she just says, it wasn't my place. Yeah. And we kind of cut out of that that bar scene we don't see them there again then the next scene that we see them is when they're all at the planet recently somebody it was you i think it was you and molly were trying to find funny quotes of tina's from the l word i think she was probably making a fan cam or something but jenny our friend jenny said or was it robin one of them said every time tina was shocked that somebody could be attracted to her i forgot about this instance when they're all sitting down at the planet and they're talking about this Nadia merchant, someone Alice is connected with or whatever. And she says, that says to Tina, didn't she try to hit on you once? And Tina said she was drunk and Beth's eyes just like, yeah, (laughs) like shot over to her. And she said, still. Yeah. (laughs) So possessively. Which I think is interesting when you contrast it to the moment earlier when Bet's explaining like why Gina Ferrara hates her so much mm-hmm. and she's like oh it's because of this artist and Tina's just like oh that sculptor you slept with and she's like smiling like she she's thinks it's phased. fucking hilarious like she's not phased at all yeah whereas Bet is like oh my god this woman hit on you once when she was super drunk must take her down relax Bet. And we have another instance where Bet and Tina are giving such sound advice to Alice on yes. how she should handle this, how she should break out of this toxic relationship. 
And yes. the note that I made is they had such sound advice for two people that are really not communicating at all in their romantic yeah. relationship. Yeah. And then there they are finishing each other's sentences, literally crafting this beautiful, wonderful speech for Alice to give, like alternating lines. And yeah. it's like, do that with each other. <laughs> yeah. Like, you never actually see them do that intimately we just want to like together as a couple yeah it's no wonder that their friends were so shocked about the affair because they're not seeing the real bet and tina right they're seeing that they're not seeing yeah, yeah. so if that was all i was seeing i would think that you know my friends are doing okay yeah they're weathering any storm that comes their way that's still this whole episode she's in this fucking crisis trying to track down this gina ferrera and doing all these things and blah, blah, blah. And Tina is just, she's just being so comforting to Bet, and Bet is just in her own world. Yeah. The look on Tina's face when they're in the planet and Bet gets that phone call, I think I actually gasped out loud because I was like, she is literally so worried. And she is watching Bet so closely. You can see Tina register the exact second that Gina tells Bet no. Yeah. Yep. And she's just so dialed into her in that moment. And the way Laurel's face shifts was beautiful. Right. Yep. And Bet's on the phone with James after that. And of course, what's James <laughs> doing? He's doing what he does best. He's being Bet's shield. Yep. Yep. I love I love when Pet goes, tell him to bite me. And James just goes, I don't think I can say that. <laughs> like totally calmly, totally taking it at face value. And then and then when she's like, tell him this, tell him this, and James is just like, I'll tell him you have a dentist appointment. <laughs> God bless James. And then so as we kind of progress to this episode, we meet Peggy Peabody for the first time, which yes. The Peabody family has a pretty significant role in the show. Yes. In the, in the seasons to come. Yes. But it's clear that Peggy and Bet have this instant connection with one yeah. They understand each other. They have a lot of similar qualities. And I, I made a note that Peggy treats Bet in their first interaction much like Bet treats the rest of the world. No yes. word in edgewise. She's speaking over them. Her shit's more important. And like only when it when she registers with her that things are not the way she thinks, then she stops and like asks questions. I wrote the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. I wrote, I wrote, oh my God, Peggy is out betting bet. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, before Peggy and bet kind of close out the episode with their interactions, we see Tina go to Jenny and offer her some advice. Yes. Because I have a lot to say episode, about that scene. You have a lot to say about it? I do. Well, I mean, not like a lot, a lot, but I have some, I have some thoughts and feelings about that particular well, scene. Earlier in the episode, Jenny passes out because she sees Tim and Marina together. And of course she's having an affair with Marina while she's yeah. engaged to Tim. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of cheating. So yeah. yeah what are your thoughts on this scene? Well, I think the thing that I, and I feel like I noticed this the last time I saw it, but then I forgot, yeah. is that I don't know, again, because Eileen didn't give Tina a backstory, so I don't know how much Laurel knew at this point, or even how much Eileen knew at this point, but the way 
Tina is acting that entire scene, even though if you're watching it for the first time, you don't know this yet, you can tell Tina is talking to her past self when she's talking to Jenny. There are a lot of moments in that scene where she is just, again, so gentle. And when she says to her, I know how intense this can be, and keeping it pent up can make it worse. First of all, take your own damn advice, Tina. But second of all, I think it was actually this really kind of understated, beautiful moment where you have this woman who went through the exact situation that Jenny is going through. That we'll never know specifics of, apparently. Right, right. Because it's just like, Eric was a thing, but like then Bet happened. And so like, we don't care. It's, you know, Bet's here now. That's all that matters. But the fact that you can see Tina just being like, it's going to be okay. Sure. They were kind of having an it gets better moment before that was the thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I fully clocked that. And obviously Jenny is not ready for that conversation yet at all. But I think for me, having the hindsight that I have, having seen the show, I actually really appreciated that scene. And especially knowing that Tina and Jenny become really close later on. And I actually, for all the problems I have with Jenny, I actually do think that Tina and Jenny's relationship is one of the most fascinating relationships in the show, but definitely one of the most fascinating friendships that Tina has. Well, I think it also speaks to the charisma that both of them bring as actors, because Mm. their scenes together are some of the funniest in the show by far. Yes. The way that their characters are so different. It's like Tina says in the interrogation tape. I always felt like Jenny, in the same way that Tina is kind of seen into Jenny, like she's seen herself and she can see what she's going through in the scene. Mm-hmm. As Jenny's character grows, it's almost as if Jenny can see into Tina more than the others can too. Oh, absolutely. She yeah. absolutely has her pegged. No doubt about it. Oh, totally. Completely. And I wish we had actually, instead of Tina just talking about it, I wish we had actually gotten that scene of them, like, drinking wine in her trailer. Because it would have been, A, they could have actually, like, you know, given Tina some backstory. But B, it would have been kind of like this scene, I think, could have been if Jenny was more open to it. It could have been this really beautiful moment of friendship with these two women who are personality-wise so complete opposites but who have actually been through some of the same shit and actually really respect each other at the end of the day mm-hmm. there's a lot of things i mean geez when, by the time we get to season six we're gonna have a lot to say but i think that one of the ways they really just kind of fucked up so much is that they set it up so that everybody was pissed at jenny at the end of the series so it was yeah. almost like her death didn't matter Right. Yeah. And yet they'll say in interviews that like there wouldn't have been an L word if it weren't for Jenny because we see it through her lens. Mm -hmm. Like I feel the same way for as much as I really dislike Jenny a lot throughout the series, I can appreciate the contribution that her character had to the show. Yes. Absolutely. And I think it was another one of those things 
about season six that just felt again i feel like the bookend seasons of this show took place in in their own universes because obviously there were some parts of it that still felt like the l word but then there were parts of it that were like are we on an alien planet and i think jenny was one of those because i feel like I don't know who Jenny was in that season. Like it was like mm-hmm. they took all of her worst qualities at the worst times in her life and were like, let's just make that her entire character this season. Right. Well, like even she, like Shane choosing to stay with her, that's again, it's so out of character for her. Mm-hmm. And there were so many things. I- Gosh, by the time we get to season six, I feel like our episodes are going to be like three hours long, like the mm-hmm. audio. <laughs> but you compare their characters from season one to season six. I, I, you, there's no clear map to get to how they, how they no. end up. I mean, it makes me think of, I can't remember which one of them said this. I know it was one of the cast. I don't even remember who or where, but they were like, it really felt like we were playing different people every single season. And yeah, for I, for some of them, especially for Mia, I feel like that was like Jenny was totally different every single year. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Mia has been very vocal about the fact that she doesn't agree that she doesn't agree with this plot that Jenny died. Yes. Because, and I get why. Yeah. I mean, she said it very clear. I think she posted on Instagram last year when the show aired and that's when we found out that Jenny died in Gen Q was that you know Jenny was bigger than she was a you know she was a survivor she was a survivor of rape she was a survivor of incest I mean again they have a very strange way of telling her story I feel like and like the creepy flashbacks and things like that but there was still a very serious matter at hand when they were conveying all that information to us as an audience Yes. So again, for all the issues that I did have with Jenny as a character, she got gypped. Her end to the show was kind of bullshit. Yeah. Like not just to kill her, but to like strip all of her friends away from her. After she just did this very kind thing in the, in the end for Bet and Tina. Yeah. And yeah. It says to Bet, like, I love you guys. Yeah. You see some of that like humanness come back for in- five seconds. Yeah. 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 You yeah. see it come back right before she dies, yeah. basically. Yep. Even though everybody's furious with her. Right. It's like the show all of a sudden went, oh shit, we need to make them sad about Jenny dying. We forgot yeah. that. <laughs> Whoops. We forgot that this whole show was through her point of view for how long and now we're planning to kill her so let's let's just scramble real quick i think mia obviously and i think kate also has been very vocal about the fact that she's yeah and i and again i get why because i think what i don't remember which one of them i think it was mia and kate was quoting her or something but like what story does that tell to abuse survivors Like, I mean, I guess I get that it was probably in an effort to keep Gen Q as its own mostly separate thing. Mm -hmm. But that is one of the decisions for as gentle as I am with Marja Lewis Ryan compared to the rest of the fandom. The fact that Eileen said, 
you can do whatever you want with season six. And that was the decision that was made. I have some notes, Marja. Right. Well, and again, we've said this before, but it's different for us, right? Like we were able to see Gen Q almost immediately after watching the original series. Right. I had to wait like a year in between the time that I first watched the L word to when Gen Q was released. I didn't have to wait at all. So yeah. And so it makes sense to me that many of the fans that have been watching for all this time, you know, since way back when in 04, it makes sense to me why these things piss them off so much. Yes, absolutely. And and that's our intent, right? We're going to have some of these folks on to talk to them about this, but the excitement that they must have felt when they heard Gen Q, like there was going to be this reboot and Gen Q was going to be this thing. And then the disappointment when they find out all of these bombshells, like yeah. better divorce, Tasha's out of the picture. Jenny With dead. no explanation. Where is Tasha? That's yeah. one of my biggest Gen Q questions is yeah. how the fuck did Carrie happen and where the fuck is Tasha? Yeah. So yeah. Or yeah. even just some other regulars like Helena, what happened to her? We know that she's technically still around because Shane gets a birthday text from her. Right. Like literally just one throwaway line I would be fine with. Yeah. And please God, not that she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> not that season two starts and we find out that Helena had a tragic death. I yeah. can't do it's like Kate said, like we enough with the L word graveyard. Like we've seen enough. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh Although, yeah. And the fact that Kit's dead in Gen Q. Yeah. Yeah. So the episode ends with Bet talking with Peggy about this Carla Freed painting, Last Time I Knew, and how significant it is to Bet because the way that the story is told and we see like a we see an image of I should say like a, a scene of Carla photographing the woman that's in this picture at the very um, start of the episode is that Bet is so in awe of this painting because or this I guess is it is it a painting it's a photo it's a photograph yeah so she's so in awe of this work of art because she said can you imagine looking at someone and seeing them all that time 12 years and it's so fascinating to her. And then Peggy reveals that she actually has a, it's not the original, but. But she has like a big print of it. Yes. Yeah. And so they show Bet mesmerized. What do they call the syndrome? Stendhal syndrome. Yeah. They describe it as, well, Bet describes it as this feeling of bursting into tears, fainting, can't stand the impact. Like that's how they, that's how her and Peggy are kind of talking about where this concept came from yeah because peggy says i'm so jealous of you that you had this moment with this this work of art and the connection i made there is i feel like tina had some of that with bet and we see this a little bit later when she first meets her the look that i always see in tina's eyes when she first sees bet is that she's mesmerized by her yeah I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that bet really is just like this larger than life person to her, which is why I think she gives bet as much grace as she does, why she's so patient with her, 
and why even one of the first things that she said or one of one of the yeah i guess one of the first things that we say or that she says to her when they um, show the first sex scene that they have in the pilot is i'm so lucky to have you mm-hmm so I think Tina really means that when she says it. Oh my God, yeah. I don't think Tina's the type to say things that are that emotional if she doesn't mean them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, it's the pedestal. To Tina, I think that is the work of art, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And that's it, that's episode yeah. four. That is episode four. We found a lot to talk about considering they were not in that much. Yeah, I think we always do. Well, That's yeah. Not, talking is not an issue for either of us. I know. So. I'm, and yet I'm surprised literally every episode when it happens. So, yeah, we are we are making our way through season one. And I think the next episode that we record, episode seven, will be Beth's episode. Or are we going to record one more episode and then do her? I don't know. You're the one who keeps putting off the bed episode, Brittany. I'm, and I'm, I'll be ready to do it by next time. Okay. We're going to make epi- lucky number seven episode will be Bet's episode. Okay. That's going to be a long episode. Yeah. That's going to be a really long episode. It's going to be a long episode filled with lots of tears and yelling. Yes. It's going to be, a, there. you're going to hear a lot more F-bombs from me than you've ever heard. <laughs> so... So stay tuned for that. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for the F-bombs. They're coming. So this has been episode six of All Things Tibet. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And we'll see you next time. This has been an episode of All Things Tibet podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. At this time, we do not have any sponsorships, but if you're interested in sponsoring us, please send us an email at allthingstibet at gmail.com. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under All Things Tibet Podcast. And you can check out our main podcast profile at anchor.fm slash allthingstibet. We post new episodes every Tuesday, and we send all of our love to the Tibet fandom for their support during this time as we give this brand new podcast off the ground. We will see you next week.